we are recording okay uh hey guys thank you so much for joining uh bibek and anhel our guest of honor for the day thanks uh, thank you so much for taking the time uh it's been it's been great bibek and i have been talking about this for a while and uh, we're really really keen on having you on board and uh, having a conversation with you regarding your journey so uh i hope you don't mind i uh, I snooped through your uh, LinkedIn and you know tried to prepare a little summary so that uh, yeah. whoever's listening can get a sense of where you're coming from. Uh and uh, you know uh, it uh, it's such a super impressive resume that you've put together you know with 9 years of experience in data science and a very comprehensive educational background. Uh I see that you have a bachelor's in computer science and uh, and two masters. Uh and uh, correct me if I'm wrong but uh, they're in language tech and security tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah yeah that's right yeah and also a phd uh, in computer science mm-hmm. uh but apart from that you've also had some really uh, really good experience working with some really cutting edge ai technology like uh, aura with telefonica uh sanya with uh, sanitas and uh, building a natural language understanding model with lang ai for the last couple of years and i think most recently uh, uh you're currently leading the data science strategy with uh, japan tobacco international correct mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's right. Perfect. Uh, so I'm I'm very glad to have Bibek on board as a co-host because uh, uh, so that you know we can uh, because we both know you as our professor from from the big data program in IE, especially machine learning and uh, and natural language processing. So uh, yes. well, just to kind of chime in there, but thanks for having me, Gotham, on to uh, kind of help, I guess, no, co-host absolutely. us a little bit. And thanks, Angel, for for being on. I mean, you're um, the smartest guy in the class, so it, it makes sense. <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, Angel, so uh, kind of uh, Gotham covered a lot of your your background, but it would be great for you to kind of fill in the gaps here a little bit and discuss your journey. I guess there's an academic portion of it, and then there's also the professional. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you mind just kind of giving us a, a quick summary that that maybe flushes out what Gotham just mentioned? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's it's really nice uh, to be here with you guys. I mean, I, I really miss this kind of talks, this kind of experiences now in this post-COVID situation. Okay, so it, it's it's basically kind of semi-lockdown here in Spain. So that's that's nice to hear from you, and that's nice to discuss a little bit about about machine learning and artificial intelligence in general. So yeah, I mean, uh, regarding the that you you very well summarized my resume. I guess that I have a two different profiles inside my career, okay? One of them is academic and the other one is more uh, corporate, is more uh, these large companies and so on. And I think that I am always trying to keep working in these cutting edge uh, data science departments in these big companies, but trying to do these academic, these more research things um, on, on them. Because I mean, I guess that my academics is it's really, it's something that I really enjoyed a lot doing my PhD working with these latest advances, cutting edge technologies. And it's it's basically over there, you just, you, 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 you were over there and it's basically, you have this very complex problem. You have all the papers in the world, you have some computational powers on AWS systems. So try to solve this problem and it's up to you how to do it. And they are expecting from you to, you know, to not uh, just solve the problem, but solve the problem in the best ways that you can, you can come up with. I mean, ideally, this is something that I discuss with people that they are doing, they are doing their PhD now, is that if you are lucky, when you finish your PhD journey, you are going to be the expert, the, the people, the person that it's the, 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 the largest expert in whatever field you decide to, you decide mm-hmm. to accomplish. Uh, and that's, that's great. I mean, this, this feeling is, is just great. And I try to keep this feeling 
working in, in the different companies that, that I've been working on. So that's because I guess that I'm always trying to be in touch with these cutting edge technologies of both in Telefonica and Sanitas in Langayai. It was about these kind of things. It was about, I'm, I'm trying to solve these cutting edge problems. I'm reading papers and doing these kind of things. I'm always trying to, to, to be updated on the latest technologies. And I guess that this is simple if you are working with natural language processing, okay? Because natural language processing, is, it's really difficult. So it's basically, you, you, there is no simple solution to that. So basically you are, you are up to, to, to review everything. And every, every year, every, basically every month you get a new technology. Now this GPT-3, uh, that's basically insane to try to keep up with, with all the new advances. But that's, that's also really exciting. I mean, and if you want to, actually work on this field you have to be you have to be you have to be like that so yeah i mean that i'm think of i'm i guess that i'm getting old and this is not anymore true but i am always trying to be this researcher that i was in the university even if i am working in as managing these data science departments or working in this in these technologies so but there, you know, you, you get old and you end up being project manager and doing excels and doing powerpoints and these kind of things yeah is that you? Uh, sorry, Bibek, go ahead. I was just going to say you mentioned GPT three there. We'll we'll come back to that later. But one of the things that I wanted to touch on there is your kind of that uh, divide between academic and corporate. And mm -hmm. and just out of curiosity, in terms of timeline, like was it were you more focused on academic initially, and then felt the need to, or, or kind of felt the the desire to switch over to corporate, or was it always something that you did simultaneously? Um, no, that, how's that journey been? That, that, that was basically it, okay? After I finished my PhD, it was basically, okay, academics is great. I love research, but now I want to, to, to do something real, okay? Or to do something in, in the real world, try right? to solve actual business problems, these kind of things, okay? I guess that is what, that was easy because even if you move to corporate, you keep working a lot in research, you keep working a lot in, in, in really advanced technologies. It's not like you move to, to companies and you end up doing these boring excels and so on. So the transition is, it's kind of easy, but that, yeah, I guess that at some point when you are working in academics, you need to make some decision. Uh, do I want to stay here to keep being a professor? Uh, do I want to be a postdoc student and spend my whole life in the university? Or do I need to move on to the, to the, to the, the company world to corporates and to start working in, in different fields. And I guess that this, this tipping point is when you finish your PhD, because if you engage with these academics, then it's more difficult to move on. Then it's more difficult after 20 years in the academy to move on to the, to the corporate world. Of course you can do it. I'm, I mean, mm -hmm. most of the most exciting technologies used by today's corporations are based on guys like Jan LeCun or Geoff Hinton, Joshua Benjo, where, they were basically in the academics for, for 20, 30 years, and now they move on to the, to the next step to corporates, to Google, to, to Microsoft, and so on. But I guess that for, for the regular guys, it's more difficult, okay? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, the good point here in the field that we are working in this machine learning data science, they are, uh, they are closer together than they are in, in, some other, in some other fields that either you do academics, you do research, you do PhD, or you do, you do corporate work. Here in machine learning, it's kind of the same. So this transition is this transition is easier. But yeah, I, I really I really feel that I need to to move on to actually okay. Now I am an expert in machine learning, natural language processing. I need I want to solve things. I want to create a chatbot. I want to 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 yeah. to do this project to help somebody in doing whatever they want to do. 
So you've done a lot of work with uh, in natural language processing. Uh, so what, uh, why specifically uh, that? I mean, what drew you to towards natural language processing subdomain of machine learning itself? Mm-hmm. I guess because it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. because uh, when you need to when you need to decide, okay, that's the thing that I want to research about. Mm-hmm. The more difficult, the better, <laughs> because I mean, yeah, you can do yeah. more things, more exciting things. Okay, you do not take the, the easy, the easy path because I mean, otherwise you, you, I mean, that's nice if you want, but in my in my case, just okay, natural language processing is just so exciting because we are working with some of the most most complex things in in artificial intelligence, which is language. And I mean, if you take a look at the results, yeah, now with these new technologies, we are able to do some fancy things, but the natural language processing problems are far from being solved. And we are still, yeah. uh, you know, how to do that. And I guess that artificial intelligence has a lot of things, a lot of to do with natural language processing, because in the end we are, we are if we are trying to replicate a human intelligence, something like that, or to try to, to build up as something similar, if you think about that, we, we speak languages, with, we, when we think we are using language, when we communicate, we are using language, when I want to express myself, when I want to, to decide what, what kind of person I want to be, all of these things, is, they are done, they are discussed by means of language. So I guess that if you want to solve, or if you want to move on with artificial intelligence, that's basically about, about language, or language is one of the most important pieces. So it, it was just exciting. It was just exciting at the time. It is ex- exciting right now. So I guess that, that, that's, that's because I'm so engaged with natural language processing. How far along do you think we are in uh, the work done in nat- natural language processing? I guess that, I mean, in natural language processing, when you research the, the history of this field of natural language processing, and this is, this is also true of machine learning, but more about natural language processing, there are different waves, okay? And usually we are discussing if statistical methodologies uh, are better or if more um, linguistic methodologies are better, okay? This is the discussion between this Chomsky approach of, you no, know, we, we are using we have this grammar of the language in mind. So with this uh, linguistic and grammatical rules, we are going to be able to solve the natural language processing problem. Or the other way is just, no, no, just give me a bunch of data and I will learn by means of mat- machine learning and statistical techniques, uh, things from this data. Right. And we try to solve that. There are different ways. So sometimes we see that uh, we understand that, no, we need linguistics. Linguistics is the best way of solving that. It does not work. <laughs> Some, to 10 years after a new statistical approach is discovered. So, okay, now the statistical is on top. So you just need the statistics. So right now, I guess that we are in this wave in which we are using statistics on top of linguistics. We started to get really impressive results by, main, by means of statistics. And we started to think, okay, that's it. We have solved natural language processing. We have deep learning. We have this really, really, um, really good techniques, really expensive techniques, but really good ones like uh, transformers, GPT-2, GPT-3, and these kind of things. Uh, Google is working on that. OpenAI is working on that. Everyone is working on that. So that's a way of solving things, okay? And now we are starting to face the same problem again, that these statistical techniques are great. We are able to do really nice things, things that I couldn't even imagine when I was doing my PhD in natural language processing. But you see that we are not actually solving the problem. Even with this GPT-3, when you start to dig in a little bit with it, when you start to, 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 to try to, to, 
to play with that, you see, I mean, you see the problems, okay? And you see that no matter how many data you have, it's, it, it seems that we require some kind of linguistics over there. So I guess that now we are in the phase in which this new wave of statistics is going down and we are starting to pay attention again to, to linguistics, okay? This is a really heated discussion in natural language processing, depending to who you interview, I guess that, no, 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 forget about linguistics, just go with the statistics. Or if you interview these Chomsky fans, they are going to tell you, no, that's a statistics, that's completely wrong, okay? That's not ah, the way. Okay, it's still subjective, it's still up yeah, in the air. Yeah, yeah, I guess that my, my position here is I'm in the middle, or I like to think that I am in the middle, so I guess that statistics are going Going to play an important role and be just this is just because we have a huge amount of data available online we have these unsupervised approaches that we can use to to, to basically to use all of this data so why not doing it but i guess that we also need some kind of linguistics because otherwise it's like just trying to solve the natural language processing by, by natural language processing problem by brute force is not going to be feasible it's not going to be feasible and it does okay. not make sense so to kind of um, build on that kind of statistical versus linguistic comparison that you made, so you're saying that we've gone through more of a statistical phase most recently. Yeah. Can you kind of describe you know, when that started and what are some of the problems that uh, that approach was able to solve and, and what, what um, tools or what innovations kind of made it possible to even use that approach? Yeah, I guess that it started in the 90s and it get uh, with support vector machines. And it got a new a new pump on on recently with deep learning. Okay, previously to support vector machines, we have these these statistical based classifiers. Some of them we review them in class, right? Mm -hmm. But it was basically basically about these expert systems trying to to create these complex grammars or trying to create these these uh, these databases, these lexical databases such as WordNet, in which many people was working over there trying to you know to summarizing some kind of dictionary or some kind of lexical database all of the information about the world then we we had this we have uh, we had wikipedia and we started to collect information in wikipedia but i guess that we discovered that uh, natural language processing is really complex and even if we are able to define some grammar this grammar is not going to generalize and this grammar could work for a specific for a specific fields these expert systems were based on trying to solve for example natural language problems related to, 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 I don't know, to medicine or related to, to a really particular and, and, close, and close field, but they did not work. Yeah. And then support vector machines in the, 90, in the 90s, they appeared and we started to see, okay, this classifier is really nice. We can leverage a lot of data. The result that we are getting, they are, they are just impressive. So let's, let's try to use that. So with support vector machines, we were able to improve a lot some classification tasks such as text classification and, and, and this kind of approach, sentiment analysis, all of the things that has to do with, I have this piece of, piece of text, this, this piece of natural language, and I need to assign some kind of level to it. Mm -hmm. But again, we face the problem that, wow, I mean, we can do complex things with that, but we cannot actually, for example, have a discussion with a, with a natural language processing system, or we cannot uh, read a piece of text and understand uh, this piece of text, okay? So when it seemed that super vector machine was giving up and we started to move again to this, to this, uh, to this linguistic approach, then it was like 2006 and deep learning kind of appeared, okay? Deep learning first appeared more related to, to image classification. They were able to cross these image classification benchmarks 
and they were able to reduce uh, these error rates from 15% to 3% in ImageNet and everybody went crazy about deep learning, okay? Mm -hmm. Deep learning is not a new technique, it's basically the same, uh, the same artificial neural networks that we were discussing in the 60s, but with, you know, on steroids, with more, more size and more data to train. Right. And uh, the approach was like, okay, that works for uh, image classification, which is a really complex problem. Let's try to do that in, <coughs> in natural language processing. And what they were expecting is that they just going to cross these natural language processing ben benchmarks. And they did for some particular tasks, such as language modeling. Language modeling is just the task or if I am giving you 10 words, or if I am giving you this sentence, uh, you have to predict the next sentence. Or if I am giving you this piece of text, you just need to predict the, the next paragraph or something like that, okay? So they, they, they were able to do that pretty well, but there are some other natural language processing tasks, such as, again, conversations that even if you have deep learning, you are not able to engage in a proper conversation with a, with a natural language processing system. Right. Especially if you want to apply that, imagine trying to create some customer service uh, solution based on deep learning, it's, not, it's basically, it's, it's not going to work, okay? Mm -hmm. So I guess that this is more or less the, the history of the field in the, last, in the last 20 years. And we are right now, we have discovered that deep learning is great, but it's not going to solve our problem. It's not going to create artificial intelligence. So let's go back to square, to square one and start to discussing to discussing about what kind of linguistic things we can do. Okay. Yeah. Don't you find that? But uh, you know, every few years there has to be a lot of relearning needs to be done for these systems because there's always new slang that's popping up, right? Yeah. Uh, there's always a new bunch of words that mean a whole different things. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard for us to catch up as people itself. Yeah. I mean, this 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 is. I mean, this is in 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 our plate. I guess this is our bad. Guys from machine learning, we like, we, want, we like to rename everything, okay? <laughs> but basically, all of the machine learning, the terminology is basically coming from statistics, and we like to call them in a different way. I don't know. I guess that because we think that we are fancier than statisticians or these kind of things. I don't know. We are doing artificial intelligence, right? So why not? Why not changing everything? Uh, but yeah, that's, that's sometimes confusing. That's sometimes confusing because now artificial neural nets are called deep learning. Now this, this sequential learning, it's called... Uh, it's it's now LSTMs and yeah that's that's basically it and it's basically the same gradient descent approach that we had in the in the 70s in the 80s but with more data and, and but now we call it a different way but yeah I mean there is a lot of relearning to do and especially if you have uh, everyone engaged as everyone is right now engaged in natural language processing Google is doing it Amazon is doing it Facebook is doing it all of the big companies are doing it all of the big departments of uh, data science department of the large uh, universities they are doing it you just have a new approach every month hundreds of papers to read. I mean, this is just completely crazy. When you, when I was reading papers from natural language processing, these conferences, you got like one or two new papers to read every year for each one of these conferences. Now it's like 200 papers that you have to read. Wow. Every, not every year, but every new venue of these conferences. And it's just completely impossible to do that. It's, it's really difficult to keep up with that. It's evolving at a, at a crazy rate, right? Yeah. So yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Just out of curiosity, uh, is uh, your uh, your learning of Russian have anything to do with you know NLP? Are you trying to? Is it is it specifically for a project or is it just a personal passion? No, no, it it it, it does not have to 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 do with with NLP. But I guess that is the other way around. I, I like to learn new languages because I learn I I like to learn new cultures. And as I told you, learning some culture and 
basically being human is about language. So if, if yeah. you want to learn about a culture, learn about your, the language. So when I was living in Germany, I tried to learn German. I learned just, I don't know, some, some hundreds of words, something like that. Uh, I visited uh, Russia last, last year and I really love Russia. So I guess, why not? Okay. So I, I, I convinced uh, two, two other friends and we are doing it, but it's the other way around. When I'm, when I'm learning a new language, it's like I just um, I just uh, try to seek for this natural language pattern, try to understand what's going on over there, try to find, you know, these specific things related to the language, related to the culture, how the, the language is shaping the culture and 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 these kind of things and it's 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 also it's also it's also really nice to to address language from this point of view uh, i'm working right now in a japanese corporation right so i have some meetings with japanese people and it's just uh, it's just really really exciting to see how the difference in in between our languages between uh, between english because we are we are talking in english between english and and Japanese, it's making that this this the way of thinking is completely different. Okay, I guess the, I mean Japanese is it's it's not so direct like English or Spanish or German. So it's it's more. I mean, when you need to to tell something, it's just you know you 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 do some kind of journey. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it's it's so the communication is not so direct. Perhaps it's like do that, do that, do that, or uh, what do you think about that? I think that it's 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 more. It's so, more complex, and I guess that it's because the it's because the difference in the languages. So that's that, even if we are talking the same language, we are talking English. I am mm -hmm. talking, I'm thinking Spanish, and then translating to English, and they are thinking Japanese, and then right. translating to English. And that's that's really nice to see these these different ways of addressing these these things. Do you, do you yeah, feel like a lot of nuances are lost in that translation? Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, unless you are a native speaker, uh -huh. unless you are you are learning English or whatever language or some other tongue, or I mean, if you spend, I don't know, 20 years living in the States, in the UK, perhaps you can get these graphs of the language. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I'm not a very funny person, but I like to think that in Spanish, I'm kind of funny and I'm not funny at all in English. I mean, I, I, just, I just, I'm not. I'm a different person, I guess, when I'm talking English, okay? And, uh, but yeah, yeah, I guess that, that you are losing it because you do not have this grasp of the language, this deep understanding of the language. So you cannot, act, you cannot actually communicate in the same way that you communicate in your mother tongue. And it's, it's, it's related to, to everything. When you love somebody, when you like somebody, when you're trying to be funny, when these kind of things, you miss these, these kind of things. I mean, and everyone engaged in some international international relationship. I guess that it's it's able to tell you the same, even yeah. if you speak English quite well. It's not the same, you know. It's it's well, not. the fact that we struggle so much with that. I mean, that just shows how hard it must be for machines for us to yeah. encode all this into machines. Which, I mean, we've made some progress, and and kind of just returning back to to some of the technologies that you just mentioned, right. um, GPT three and, and transformers. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a lot of buzz around uh, GPT-3 especially because I think it was just released by OpenAI. But mm -hmm. you kind of mentioned that there's a bit of a bottleneck now that the statistical method is, is kind of failing us to some degree and that there needs to be a bit of a shift. But um, can you kind of reconcile that? I mean, there's this excitement about GPT-3, but is that kind of misplaced or, or is, it, um, is it solving some real challenging problems that were previously unsolved? Mm -hmm. Or is it just, you know, interesting to use and... Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm trying to be pretty conservative with all of these new discoveries because 
as soon as you as i mean as soon as you engage um, and you engage corporation and enterprises in in this endeavor of artificial intelligence you need to understand that there are marketing behind that okay yeah. and especially in the case of gpt3 i mean if you remember when openai release release or did not release GPT-2. They told, okay, we have trained this really fancy model GPT-2, but we cannot release this model because it's, it's pretty dangerous. I mean, it's so powerful that then you can create some fake mails or some fake news with it, or you can just, you know, float uh, online discussions with this, uh, with this um, GPT-2 generated text. So we are not going to release that. That's for GPT-2. Now they have GPT-3, way more powerful, way more uh, dangerous in this in this sense. And they are just telling, oh, yeah, I'm going to release GPT-3. In fact, if you want to pay us, then I guess that now they are developing some kind of pricing strategy, some pricing to, so you can connect to the API and then you, you can basically use GPT-3 as, as much as you want. <laughs> no longer so, concerned about security. <laughs> yeah, no, not so much. Okay, so if GPT-2 was so dangerous, so what's mm -hmm. going on now? Okay, so this yeah. is some kind of marketing strategy. So when they release something, you have to to be able to navigate through this marketing and to actually get into the to get into the model and to understand what what this is doing. So I guess that always in artificial intelligence and in deep learning, natural language processing, this nowadays there are a lot of buzz around that. Okay, and it's like okay, that's that's just incredible. And it is incredible. Okay, we I'm not trying to to, to tell the opposite, but we have to take things. Um, we have to actually understand the, the kind that the kind of work that GPT-3 is doing. GPT-3 is a language modeling, and it's not going to solve anything beyond language modeling. Okay, it's not going to solve anything beyond being really good at predicting the next thing that it should say. And that could be done for question answering. If I am I'm making some question, and you get me the answer. And that could be for a slot filling. So if I'm telling you, if I'm telling you some some sentence that you have to complete, some entity that you have to complete in this sentence. If you want to generate text, if you want to even generate translations, that's okay. Okay, but it's not artificial intelligence because I mean the only thing that your model is going to do is to uh, increase whatever metric and whatever task in whatever task you are training the model to do. So the only thing that GPT-3 is going to be able to do is to be really good at that. And there are a lot of things that, that we can do with that. And there are a lot, of, um, a lot of problems that we can solve with that. But anything beyond that, hey, we are not going to be able to solve. For example, if you want to, I don't know, um, to, to infuse some kind of contextual knowledge about it, you cannot do it because the model does not have any context. The only context that the model has is the, the, the data that it's going around. Okay, if, even if you feed the model with all of the information available on the internet, it's not the real world, it's not the entire world. It's not able to understand relationship or, or, or contextual, contextual things beyond that. This is something that we humans are very good at, okay? Mm -hmm. Even if you think that this is something that we discuss also in class, okay? That the way in which we humans communicate is, we are pretty good at it. And that's because of evolution, I guess. That if if I need to if I need 20 minutes to tell you that over there there is a lion that is going to 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 kill us, we are not going to survive. Okay, our genes are not going to pass to the next generation. If I am able to tell you the same information in just two seconds, mm -hmm. yeah, that's basically it. Okay. So if you think when we are talking, even if we are having a complex discussion, basically what we are doing is to activate in some contextual information that we have, some contextual some things that we have and that we have in common these right. things are um 
common sense about the real world that you can open a window or you can close a door, but you cannot close a televisor or open whatever thing, okay? And also some contextual information that we have because we have some experience together. We have been in the same class. So if I am referring to something that happened in class, you are going to be able to understand that even if my message is, is quite simple, okay? And this is something that is basically not available over there. Mm -hmm. right. So your GPT-3 model or GPT whatever model is not going to be able to learn that. We need to some way be able to infuse this common sense knowledge into this kind of models in order to understand that. Because otherwise, it's going to be pretty good at uh, finding answers or, or completing the text. But as soon as you ask about some contextual problem, as soon as you try to make the model infer something, it's basically not going to work. Okay, it's basically not, not, not going to work. And this is something that you feel when you play when you play with GPT-3. And that's also related. Okay, this GPT-3 is awesome. I'm working in JTI right now, so I'm trying to, let's try to apply that to, to my business problems. Your business problems are quite specific and are quite dependent on the context in which you are working. A customer service, uh, a, a customer service um, um, solution that you want to create, it needs to focus on your particular products, on your particular devices, on your particular situations, on your particular problems. The model is not going to be able to infer that. The model is not going to be able to comprehend the problems that you have over there, okay? Because basically it is not the thing that you're trying to do it. So when you try to use this GPT-3 model to create a chatbot, for example, for solving the customer problems, and I'm talking to you, I have this problem with this delivery related to this product, the model is not going to be able to understand the product. The model is not going to be able to understand what is this delivery problem. And it's going to give you a general solution perhaps that is not is basically not working. And that's that's completely normal because that's not what we train the model to do. Right. I guess that these models are kind of exciting because all the possibilities that they are open and because we are doing things that seems pretty amazing, but we have to give the proper context, okay? And I guess that the most important thing that we can do with these models, and this is also the, 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 the thing that right now in natural language processing is more, is more exciting. If somebody right now asks me what the next thing to do in natural language processing is go for unsupervised. We have a lot of, a lot of information over there, but it's basically unsupervised. Okay, unsupervised by unsupervised, and meaning that you do, not, you do not have a label related to a piece of text or to some information, okay? The typical supervised approach, this is uh, a piece of text uh, related to class one, to class two, or to class three, and I'm trying to predict that, okay? In unsupervised, basically, you have a lot of text, and you try to just understand something based on that, with no level, with no specific task. That's what we are doing with GPT-3 and these advanced language models, okay? We are taking the entire Wikipedia, we are taking real large databases with millions and millions and millions of data points with millions of uh, textual contents. And basically we are using that to understand something, okay? To understand the basic nuances of the language. If we are able to do that and we are close of doing that according to this GPT-3 thing, we are going to be able to use this information for downstream tasks. This is something that I was working, for example, during the lockdown here in Spain, we spent like, three almost three months in lockdown here in spain so i need i needed to do something so i started to play around with some ideas related to natural language processing and they, they opened they released this COVID data set in which basically what you have is 
hundreds or I don't remember the number, thousands, hundreds of thousands of papers related to COVID and some basic questions that you have to answer. So basically you need to create a system to read all of these papers and to solve these answers or to at least give the pointer to finding these answers, okay? That's something that these really advanced language models can do. And that's something that I did, okay? That's, that's some, some basic model that I implemented, which was basically, okay, we have a lot, of, a lot of information. It is unsupervised because I don't know which paper includes the answer or in which section of the paper you can find the answer. But what you can do is to try to understand what's going on over there to learn this language that is in these papers. And then let's see if I can make some questions based on that, or I can create some classifier based on that to decide if the paper is relevant or not for this answer, or to try to identify the paragraph in which I can find the answer, or to try to identify entities related to the answer, this kind of things, okay? And that's, that's, that's basically correct. But this is not artificial intelligence, okay? This is a very advanced way of solving some specific problems. So. Angel, you mentioned, um, it seems like the main problem right now is they're good at um, kind of summarizing general or generic information. I know a lot of these models are trained on things like Wikipedia. So they have kind of this uh, broader general knowledge, but they, they lack kind of empathetic communication or communication that's specific to a relationship or a specific context. And when you think about it, I mean, humor, you mentioned a lot of our communication is very... Uh, specific to who you're talking to and, and the, the given situation. And um, I know there's a statistic that, you know, the majority of communication is body language. Or if you look at text, you know, the way people use um, you know, punctuation or emojis and things like that to convey more than just what's in the text. And it seems like that's what's, what's missing from these models. So I guess that's where the linguistic piece would come in or, or you know, how, do we, how do we resolve that in your mind? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's basically it, right? Yeah, I mean, linguistics can help you in providing you some general knowledge about how, how language is working, okay? Um, and that, that's pretty nice because there are some ways that you cannot basically learn, okay? There are some grammatical structures that you can, you can try to learn, but it, it's better if you encode that, okay? Mm -hmm. And there are, uh, for, for, for that reason, linguistics, I get that plays an important role, and we, need, and we need to start going back to linguistics to understand how we humans communicate and how we can replicate this communication in these in this, um, statistical models. That's, um, that's, that's very important for sure. There is a hot topic right now in, in deep learning in general, but in, it's important to natural language processing, which is called inductive bias, which is basically how to inf infuse this kind of knowledge into the models based, I don't know, in the structure, in the metric that we are using to train. So we can just use a metric that is, that is favoring this kind of empathetic conversation or it's, it, it's, it's favoring just to keep on with the conversation, to not give a quick answer and finish the conversation, but to engage in this, in this long and meaningful conversation, these kind of things. And that's basically, that's basically the, how linguistic could help in, in, in doing that. The other thing that we can do, I guess, is to leverage more things that only text, to use some kind of multimedia approach. As you mentioned, we use the body language, we use uh, our face to convey some kind of expressions, we, it's not only about text, it's about many other things that we, that we do. And that's something that we have discovered in this, in this during COVID, right? That uh, online meetings are not just the same. The other, the other, the other um, 
there was reading on Twitter that one of the main things that we are losing with these Zoom meetings and everything is just the looks that we can mm -hmm. have with my partner when somebody is talking nonsense in a meeting, something like that, right? This kind of looking, which are you, right. are you thing than me? You cannot do that in Zoom. You cannot do that in Teams, these kind of things, okay? So that's a, that's a kind of communication that we are missing. In order to do that, yeah, of course, you can, you can leverage some multimedia approach in which you include the video, of the people talking so you can understand that this particular piece of text in this situation related to this phase it's 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 implying a different thing that related to this other phase or with a video or with um, i don't know many many different many different data points that you can basically basically include over there i guess that this is going to be important and the and the other main topic also that you can you can try to, to to solve if you want to improve this this um, artificial intelligence technologies is how to solve common sense okay how to include this common sense into the models they are trying to do that by brute force by basically if you read the entire wikipedia you understand more or less how the world how the world is working but as you said wikipedia it's an encyclopedical domain mm -hmm. just focus on particular things it's not focused on love is not focused on business communication, is not focused, I don't know, in, in many different things. And even if Wikipedia were focused on that, is not codified like that, right? It's not the, the kind of thing that we learn when, 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 when we are babies, right? The kind of ways in which I interact with the world and based on this interaction I'm learning from the world, this is missing in this kind of models, okay? Because you, you need to think on, th on this model of, of as a one-way learning. Basically, you give the data and the model learns. But this is not how the human is learning. It's not how the human is learning anything, basically. So you, in the, in the real world, you get some information via your senses. With this information, you make a decision. And when you make a decision, you interact back with the world and you get a response. So this, I guess that this is more related to reinforcement learning and that's the basic idea in which, okay, it's not only that I learn from this data, but now based on my learning, I'm going to operate in the real world and I'm getting answers from my, from my interactions with the real world so I can retrain my model based on that. So I guess that for, for learning this common sense and for learning how to interact with the world, I guess that uh, reinforcement learning could be, reinforcement learning could be useful. But right now, the main problem that I see in reinforcement learning is that it's working in, in very well-defined domains. If mm -hmm. you are trying to play, to play, I don't know, space invaders or these mm -hmm. kind of things, it's nice because the, the, the real world is just a small screen with a limited amount of things that you can do. But the real world is not like that. You mean in like training bots in a, in a constrained yeah. environment would be, yeah. that's where reinforcement learning would be. Yeah, that would be nice if you need your bot your, your to decide between six or seven different options. Reinforcement learning is just great. But if you need to create an artificial intelligence operating in the real world, I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, I guess that we are asking too much to these models because uh, we as humans, we take like one or two years to start talking. Yeah. So, it's not uh, up until we have, I don't know, seven or eight years that we, we are seven or eight years old that we actually start to be a human being and to play with the world and to interact with the world and to, to be able to, 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 you know, to, to live out there. So I guess that you cannot just try to do that with just one week of training of your deep learning model. Do you think, think uh, com sorry, uh, just quickly, like, do you think com uh, it's a computational problem or it's a design problem when it comes to reinforcement learning? 
No, no, it's, 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 it's both. I do not see that we are going to solve artificial intelligence by having more, more computational power. It, it, it just does not scale, I guess. It, it's not that like, it's if we have more scale, data, yes, yeah. if we have more computational power, it's going to work better. I mean, right. we need to think on better designs. We need, we need to think on clever ways of including this, this domain knowledge. We need to think in clever ways in which my system can interact with the world. We need to include not only this, this textual information, but some other information, some, some yeah, multimedia information. It's not just about computational power. Of course, if you have more computational power, it is demonstrated by these large models, you can do better, yeah. you can deal with more data, but it's not just about that. It's, you, you, you will not solve it in this way. Yeah. Well, I think um, for reinforcement learning, I mean, it's partially a robotics problem. So, I mean, we have our senses, right? And we're able to take in the world around us and then we can behave in the world. I think that's um, a challenge to recreate that, to, to create robots that are actually able to perceive the world the same way we are. And then I think the other side of it is um, the uh, not being able to include this inductive bias. I know meta reinforcement learning is, is on the rise now where you can train several agents on slightly different problems. And as a result, say for example, there's there are slightly different driving problems the meta learner should learn how to drive as a principle, as opposed to driving on a specific track. So I think that area seems to be growing and it might lead to a solution. And I think one other thing that, that I've read recently that I find interesting is being able to encode um, ambiguous objective functions or, or reward functions for reinforcement learning agents. Um, I don't know if you, you have much insight into that, but from what I understand, it's, you know, you don't just tell it that this is your objective, you uh, you might have that, but then you also introduce some ambiguity saying that this is your objective, but um, if I as a human decide that no, maybe this objective's not uh, well-defined, I can you know tell you that as an agent and the agent will update its objective function accordingly. So it's kind of admitting as humans that we don't necessarily know what the exact objective function needs to be up front. And so we kind of encode a more simplified one initially and then just provide feedback so that it can update it on its own. Is that something that's being used in or in uh, NLP, or do you know much about how that's progressing in, in reinforcement learning? Um, uh, no, that's actually very interesting, and this is something that we are not able to do so far on, on natural language processing, neither in reinforcement learning. And this is this is related to the this is related to the problems that I was mentioning that this model is not being able to, because we think on these models, they should be able to solve the problem that we humans are able to solve. And because of, of one of the things that are, that are stopping them from doing that is basically that, okay? Because we humans are able to work in an ambiguous situation, a machine learning model, a deep learning model, basically a computer model is not able to operate in that way, okay? It's basically you need to give them Okay, this is the this is the reward function. This is the metric that you have to optimize, and this is basically the only thing that it's going to do. Okay, it's like okay, when you see this nonsense, artificial intelligence is going to kill them all. It's mm -hmm. going to kill us all. Okay, mm -hmm. it's like if they are if artificial intelligence is going to kill us, is only if we are not able to define this this function. Okay, it's oh, you give it reinforcement learning. <laughs> yeah, it it's, kills the humans. <laughs> It's like basically if you tell an artificial intelligence model, okay, you have to solve the contamination problem in the world. So it can understand, okay, I'm going to kill everybody and yeah. right? Right. But in the end, you did not properly define the metric or because it, if you are working in this ambiguous situation, it's, it's, you are basically not able to do that. 
in fact, when you see these deep learning models or these machine learning models, these advances operating in some, some particular natural language processing tasks, you see that they have to define the tasks at a, such a specific level that it makes no sense anymore, okay? Mm -hmm. So for example, there is a natural language processing task, which is I'm going to give you six different sentences. The ball is on top of the table. The ball is red. And there is another ball um, um, in this uh, other table. How many red balls do you have? Something like that, okay? Mm -hmm. if, you, if your machine learning model, your deep learning model is able to solve that, you expect that it's able to solve that, to solve that because it's able to, understand, to, to read and to understand things, okay? Right. But when you actually define the, the task, when you actually define the metric that you are trying to optimize, it's not, you cannot tell, okay, you have to learn that. You have to learn how to read. This is not how it's working. It's, so what they do is they define a pretty specific task in which, you know, you have always four sentences. There is always two objects involved. There is always an ask, an, ask a question about the action over this object. And there is always a set of actions that you can choose. And yeah, the model is basically doing great at that. But this is not the thing that you want to do, okay? The mm -hmm. thing that you want to do is, okay, I'm going to give you this, this legal contract and you have to read the legal contract and make sense of everything. Mm -hmm. But this is pretty ambiguous. We cannot define a metric based on that. And as I told you in class, the only thing that your machine learning or deep, model or deep learning model is going to do is just to optimize whatever metric you decide. How does affect to the business problem or to the, to, the, to the philosophical problem that you are trying to solve? Your machine learning model is not going to be able to understand that, right? It's It'd just, be impossible to define a metric for that, right? I mean, yeah, it's basically, I'm just, guy, I'm just trying to improve the perplexity metric. I don't yeah. know about artificial intelligence. I don't know about anything. So yeah, you get a model which is pretty good in this particular task with this particular metric, but it does not generalize to real world and it is not related to the problem that we are trying to solve. I mean, we have to, to, to understand that we are doing baby steps. And okay, in next iterations, perhaps this task is going to be defined in, defined in, a, in a better way, in a broader sense. So we are able to solve this particular problem and then building on that, we will be able to generalize a little bit better and we will be able to read simple, simple texts, these kind of things, okay? But yeah, that, that's basically about it. We are not being able to do that. And we are not being able, we are not being, uh, we, we cannot do it because that, that's very difficult. That's because, because I'm telling you that, I guess that this is not a computational problem, it's more a design, a design problem. problem. Yeah. Uh, because no matter how many TPUs you have, you are not going to be able to solve this problem by brute force. Yeah. So, I mean, well, we've discussed the complexity when it comes to a technical perspective, but uh, I want to quickly get your opinion on uh, the, the human perspective when it comes to, to tech like this. Uh, and to uh, give you an example of what I'm trying to try to get at, uh, uh, we've, we've all seen these deep fake videos, right? Where you have really perfect renditions of uh, uh, a person's face. Like I think a couple of years back, there was one uh, of Obama which was incredible. And till the end of the video, I didn't even realize that it was a deep fake until I was told. But uh, it's becoming more and more common and it's a very, uh, it's very accessible technology right now. I, like even, uh, uh, even I could, I think, uh, go find a library, maybe not a perfect implementation of it, but I could, I could you know, attempt an implementation of it. But uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to such advanced uh, methodologies and you know, with uh, such powerful AI becoming more accessible, uh, do you think there should be that there should we should start defining constraints on who has access to this technology or this this soft tech to you know prevent abuse 
and uh, and there is very high likelihood of there being abuse with uh, with especially with tech like deep fake yeah yeah completely completely agree i mean um there is always a trade-off between regulation and the advance of technology if there there are no regulation and we can do everything perhaps we, we will create an incredible model or an incredible solution but it's just not uh, not it's not a good solution for everybody and it's it's going to 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 hurt people or it's it's going to to make the world a worse a worse place so yeah i definitely Thing that we need some regulation with artificial intelligence because we are talking about such a powerful technique being able to do this kind of things this kind of deep deep fakes or i mean with this gpt3 i can basically flood your your email account with spam mm -hmm. or i can just uh, predate your conversations online or i can just i mean basically harass you with with this with this millions of mails every day something like that this is this is really dangerous so yeah uh, definitely we need we need some kind of we need some kind of regulation or we need some kind of setting some kind of ethics about what can be done and what um, and what is not is not uh, even if it is technically feasible we shouldn't do it okay um yeah. I guess that we are working to, towards this regulation. In China, they are doing it. In European Union, they are doing it. In the States, they are doing it. And I, I guess that this is some common effort. Uh, I mean, sadly, there are some geopolitical things in between. So we, I guess that we are not going to be able to, to find a unique regulation. And perhaps we will have this, this regulation. But internally, if I am in this, in this economic war between China and the States, so if I have this artificial intelligence tool to do it, why not? I mean, we've, we've done wars in the past, so I now have this tool in this geopolitical or this economical world, and I'm going to use that. So I guess that somehow we should be able to define some kind of, 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 of uh, red lines that we should not cross, even if we are able to do it. We are able to clone people, but we decided to not do that because yeah. it's not moral, okay? So perhaps we are able to do these deep fakes, or perhaps we are able to 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 to, to create these these models and to basically to destroy internet with these models. But we shouldn't be able to do that, okay? Because it's it's really difficult to detect them. Once you get this model released, and once you get people to to use this model and to create these deep fakes, I mean, how can I be sure about that? And the problem with that is. I can I can get a very cynical point of view. It's basically okay. Everything that I see is false. Exactly. Right. I mean, you could you there and it is so, it looks so good now. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very hard to tell the difference sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, uh, so. in, in that case, would you think that something like what uh, uh, they're doing with GPT three would make sense, where you license this software? In that case, you have accountability, right? Then you know. Yeah. Yeah, you have accountability. You, you have accountability, but in the end, the, the thing that it worries me is that it's up to OpenAI to decide who should be held accountable and what's kind, what's the kind of things that you can and cannot do. It's like I, I wouldn't like to to I wouldn't like that a corporation is the one deciding that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, us as society should be the ones deciding that. Okay, and I'm pretty sure that guys on OpenAI, on OpenAI, they are really nice. The guys on Facebook, they are really nice. The guys on Google, they are really nice. And they, they, they just want the, the best for everyone. 
but I, it shouldn't be up to a company, to the standards of a company to decide what can or cannot be done, okay? I, I guess that this is, this is a problem that is going to affect society and it's going to be great for society. So I guess that if we are able to define what should be done with that or what should be, I mean, we are, we are seeing right now an example, okay? We are trying to develop these vaccines for, for COVID. Right. So when we humans, as human race, we, we agree on something, we are able to do really pretty good things, okay? So I guess that if we are able to reach the same consensus with artificial intelligence, let's focus on these problems. Let's, uh, let's uh, regulate these others so only you can work on them with these basics. I guess that it's going to be better for, for everyone because we are going to be able to focus on the important things or we are going to decide as society what are the things that we want to do with these artificial intelligence models. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that point where, you know, if you allow the corporations to be the gatekeepers, um, you know, their values then are, are what govern society. And so it's, it's, not obvious, it's not always obvious that their values are going to align with the rest of society. And I think one of the benefits of, of the AI community is the uh, open source approach. And that's yep. what's allowed it to evolve so quickly. And so many uh, amazing things that, that have had positive consequences have been able to be developed. Um, but the moment you start to distrust people and their use of that technology, uh, I, I feel like that would ripple throughout everything. Because um, yep. from now on, all, you know, stronger and stronger technologies are going to be developed. You know, GPT-3 is one, but I'd imagine in a couple of years, GPT-3 will be nothing. You know, it'll, it'll seem like something um, pretty vanilla. Um, and so if you start to introduce those barriers now, uh, they're only going to get worse, uh, which, which I understand. I mean, you want to avoid any sort of uh, colossal failure. And so you might do that, but it, it comes from a place of fear, I think. And, and if we can manage to establish some sort of standards uh, among ourselves um, as a society and, and enforce those somehow, that would be a, a more optimal solution, at least in my mind. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to touch on, kind of um, segueing from these, these newer technologies and kind of touching on your practical experience, um, there's obviously the research side, and there's a ton being done there, and you, you kind of mentioned the, the number of papers that are being released regularly, and it seems like almost every month there's something that's revolutionary that's been released in the research, research space. How have you found the um, adoption uh, in, in kind of the more practical environment? Uh, is that something that's fairly smooth? Is it is it lagging quite a bit? Um, and maybe touch on your personal experience and how you've managed to kind of take what you know from a research environment and apply it um, at, at JTI or, or your previous companies. Yeah, no, no, it, it is not. It is not as smooth. I mean, as, uh, if you're working on Facebook, Google, uh, Amazon, Microsoft, I guess that you are on deep learning on GPT-3, but uh, I mean, I did not leverage any of these uh, advanced deep learning models based on language models, nor GPT-2, GPT-3 GPT transformers for many commercial scenarios. And I guess that this is talking about what we were discussing before about how they are not actually solving artificial intelligence, how they are not actually solving generic problems, but they are solving specific problems. If the problems that you have, for example, text classification, um, it's related to the kind of problems that these models are going to solve. Nice. You get this huge model that it's able to do that and we play a little bit with that in, in our natural language processing class and I gave you some examples. That, but some, some uh, something that you do understand when you go to corporations is that 
basically this is true for corporations but also for real life is like i have this problem i want this problem solved i do not care about how it, this is solved it's basically i need to increase my revenue i need to improve my satisfaction the satisfaction of my consumers or i need to solve this i need to find a restaurant where to eat uh, today and the point of these huge models is that even if they are telling you that we are solving this complex problem and we have this demo that is working here it's basically not they are they are and it's because it's 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 really difficult to do that right so mm -hmm. as they are not solving actually the problems when you try to apply them to a particular scenario you start to see that they are different they are they are difficult to apply and building upon that is not only that they are not actually aligned with many business with many business problems but it's even as that they are really complex I mean, and by really complex is like, I mean, when you read the papers of this GPT-3 or this Turing NLP coming from Microsoft, GPT-2, BERT, these kind of things is like, they need to spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars to train them. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I go to my manager asking for $250,000 to train this machine learning model to do anything, I'm going to get fired. I mean, basically, because it's like, I mean, really cannot just create this basic rule to do that and just let that know. Okay. So I guess that it's, it's both. Okay. They are pretty complex and they are, and they are not quite aligned to some of the business problems that we are, that we are discussing. Okay. There are some words and some nice words in this regard in now it's called knowledge distillation, which is basically, I have this huge model. So I'm going to try to extract the, the important parts of this model to, to, to have a small one like this distilled bird, which is basically I'm trying to learn from, I have this bird model and I'm creating a classifier based on the outputs of that this bird model is, is giving me. So this, this smaller classifier is basically learning from bird. And if whatever bird is able to do, this distilled this classifier is going to be able to do it also. Okay? This basic idea is really nice, and if you use this distill, um, use this distilled version of the of the models, they are smaller. That you can you kind of of they are they you you are able to implement them. You are able to use them. They're more economical. The also. What sorry? More economical. Yeah, more economical, definitely. And if you just can use uh, some transfer learning, which is another hot topic right now in mm. deep learning and in natural language processing, that's great. Basically, transfer learning is imagine that I need to do this text classification problem to decide if this email is a spam or not. Uh, but these emails are in English, so I have this huge bird model in English. This huge bird model is not able to decide if something is a spam or not, but it's able to understand the basic nuances of the language or the basic aspects of the language. So I'm going to use that to train, a, 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 to, to use that as an input to a simpler machine learning classifier to decide this is a spam or not. So even if I cannot train BERT, I can use a pre-trained version of BERT, a pre-trained version of GPT-2, and try to apply this pre-trained version in my, in my domain. But this is, this is also difficult, okay? This, uh, this transfer learning is not so smooth. So that's because when you have to solve these business problems, I mean, I've done some work, I've done some research, uh, and I have applied them for specific business problems, but not for all of them. It's not basically that you go with deep learning or with really advanced methodologies. Many times just you just use some methodologies coming from the 60s, from the 70s, some statistical measures, right. something like that. It's working in business. 
this is not 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 true for research because in research the whole point of research is i want to advance this field and in order to advance this field i need to do something new uh, something cutting edge some something on, on on the state of the art but incorporation is is not is not the same with research it's very discovery based right you're not looking yeah. for uh, to improve a kpi or anything like that you're just uh, yeah. looking to yeah, I'm, I'm always making these distinctions between researchers and engineers yeah. So when you are working in academia, when you are doing your PhD, you're a researcher. When you are working in a company, you are an engineer. So you are basically solving problems, not proposing new ones. In research, you are always proposing new problems. But this this brings up a really interesting question. Like uh, you're you're currently designing a data science strategy for JTI, right? So I mean, how do you how do you approach that? You know, to be able to to cater to the business side as well by also you know what's that like to 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 design that entire uh, approach basically there are two ways of addressing that as top down or bottom up bottom is i have this this machine learning models these machine learning solutions mm -hmm. and let's see how I can apply them to business and the other one is the top down which is i have these business problems and i need to solve these business problems so i start i start to research on that and i start to see what machine learning models or whatever model makes sense the top-down approach is the one that makes sense, okay? Because basically, again, my job is not to do data science or to do machine learning, but it's to solve uh, business problems. Right. So first thing that I have to do is, okay, which is the business problem? Uh, which is the thing that we are trying to solve? Which is the KPI that I'm trying to improve? And now, okay, now that I understand the problem, I have, I'm a data scientist, so I know that I have these models. I know what the model can and, uh, can and cannot do. And I know if they make sense for this particular problem. So based on understanding the, the, the entire set of business problems that we have, uh, basically you define this strategy uh, based on that. Uh, and th that's the only way of doing that because otherwise it may work from, from research. You start, with the, you start with the machine learning model and then you move to the problem. But I guess that in research is kind of the same. It's basically you have this hypothesis, this research problem, and then you try to propose a solution. In research, you try to propose a new solution Usually with, uh, in the corporate world, there are a bunch of uh, tools, library solutions that are already implemented and you just leverage them to solve that. But that, that's, I guess, the way of doing it. That's the way that I learned, uh, not I learned, and I guess that this is the way that makes sense because the other way is just the, the source of many frustration. I mean, people coming, coming from a technical background, data scientists, people coming from a business background, you have this meeting and this business guy is telling, Oh crap, what this guy is telling me. You are talking me about data points. You are talking me about complex things that I have to do. I have the, my IT department over here and they are just crazy because you are just asking them to get access to production to make 1,000 queries per second to the production database. Are you crazy or what? I mean, and for the technical guys, it's like, you do not understand anything. You just and uh, you just know how to do powerpoints i have artificial intelligence in my hands you are doing it wrong i'm going to solve that you are making silly decisions you are not making decisions based on data <clears throat> and so on and that's because we are seeing the same problem from different point of views so i guess that it makes sense for us to move to the business problem and in the end try to try to solve the business problem from this with this top-down approach yeah it seems like the the bottom-up it's almost trying to fit a, a you know square peg into a round hole where you have a solution you're just trying to find a problem for it but yeah. that, that usually doesn't work now um 
I, I don't know if you have much insight. I mean, you don't have experience necessarily working for these companies, but the Googles and Amazons and Facebooks of the world, do you know how their approach is different? Because I know they have a quite, quite a strong research branch. Um, so I'd imagine that, you know, what they're doing in the, the from a research stand, uh, standpoint is applicable to their, to their business application as well. Do you know if that's the case or, or is it still quite divided in these companies um, from yeah. what you know? I mean, I, I, I am not working for them, so I do not uh, actually know how they actually work internally. But what they have is these this, uh, strong research teams that they are working kind of for free, but not actually. Okay, in, in the end, Google, Facebook, Amazon, all of them, they have these business problems. And what they have is these uh, pretty advanced research teams working on, this, on these business problems. And they are free to, you just investigate, you just read papers, you just did, do some research, go to conference and so on. But basically you are working on solving these problems, okay? So yeah, you, you get some freedom over there and you get these research departments and these business departments and these solutions departments and these, all of these departments. Each one of them is working in a different thing. And yeah, the research department is basically doing research, the same kind of research that we were doing in the university, but pretty focused on the business problems that they are right. trying to solve. I would, I would imagine they still have uh, to show results at some point, you know, I mean, uh, because that's the whole point of Google and Apple yeah. investing in these guys, right? They they want to yeah. advance probably their like their AI in, in like for Alexa and things like that. Yeah, and the, the, and also the, the the results that they are trying to get can be really subtle because think about that. Think of, when you think about it, it's like okay, I'm Google and mm -hmm. I have this, or I'm Facebook. I have this problem with this fake news. Okay. And everybody is everybody is is, is just uh, complaining about Facebook because we are we are you know spreading this fake news and everything. So I have this problem. I need to solve this problem. If I'm able to solve this problem, my 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 the value of my actions skyrockets and everything. So if I am able to engage the research community into you know researching into fake news, I'm going to have pretty intelligent people in all of the data science departments in many different companies and in many different universities working on that. Mm -hmm. So it's like, instead of having this research team over here in Facebook with 20 people, I have now 20,000 people working on that. Yeah. So perhaps one of the output of these research teams, when they, work, when they go to this conference and they publish these papers, is just to move the discussion to these problems that they are having, okay? Right. What's the point of Google? Um, of, of Google liberating or um, making available things like TensorFlow or data models. To improve it, right? Crowdsource yeah, uh, improvement. Yeah. So you have now TensorFlow, which is great. So you learn TensorFlow, you learn how to operate with TensorFlow, you create add-ons to TensorFlow, libraries to TensorFlow. So basically you are telling the language that Google wants you to tell, yeah. to speak, and, sorry. And it's, it's, you are working in the problems that Google is, is working. You are mm. solving the problems in which Google is working. So. These research departments are also trying to, to do that, okay? By publishing the results or by making this BERT model uh, available. Now everybody's working with BERT. Everybody's using BERT for this problem, for this other one, for this other one, for this other one. So basically Google has many people working on that. And okay, that, that's great. I mean, I, I, I hope that I could engage uh, people in the same way, trying to solve the problems that I have in, in, my, in my daily job, right? If, if I can have, thousands of people working in solving the, the, the problems that I am trying to solve, that, that, that is just great. Yeah. 
So, uh, you know, we've clearly you, you, you've done your best to like stay on top of like the latest topics and methodologies and, uh, just wanted to get your sense of like, you know, what's your, uh, what's your learning process? What's your approach to like, uh, uh, you know, uh, figuring out what is the next thing, next evolution and next, uh, uh, most important aspect that you probably need to be aware of and, you know, stay on top of. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question because, because it's, it's really difficult because of my role right now, uh, since I left the university, I'm not so much into this paper reading uh, uh -huh. about, okay, this is a new conference. I'm going to read the, the entire set of papers that are interesting for me. It, it just does not, not, not work like that anymore. So basically what I am trying to do is there are many intelligent people over there. So basically everyone, every time that uh, you have a new ACL conference, that you have a new NIPS conference, new RIPS conference, that you have a new whatever conference. So basically there are a lot of people distilling that from you. Okay, so getting sense of, okay, this mm -hmm. is important. This is, these are the trends that they are doing, in the, that they are following in this conference. My first approach is to keep track of these conferences because in this conference is where universities go there and with companies go there to publish the, 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 latest, the latest results. So basically try to understand at a high level this, this, this conference, what's going on over there. So you have these nice reviews of these really nice people that goes there, attend there, read all the papers and get you this, this, this knowledge distillation for you. So that's, that's great. By following that, you see, you understand what's going on. You understand uh, what's are, what, what are the problems that people are trying to solve from a research point of view. Right. If you feel one of them interesting, my approach is for the ones that I am interested, I try to follow the people working on that. So uh -huh. that's because, I mean, the, the, the idea is that we are a really nice community in machine learning, natural language processing, artificial intelligence in general. So every time that we understand something new, we discover something new or that we are working on that, it's basically, um, I'm going to tell everyone. So by following them, you, you, you can understand more or less what's, which are the, which are the, the new advances, okay? And then I'm trying to put this advant uh, these advances at whole and it's okay, GPT-3, that's nice. And we'll try to, to understand that at a, at a specific level, but I need to understand that perhaps I'm not going to use GPT-3 tomorrow or the next six months. Right. So, because I'm trying to solve a more business problem. I get that it makes sense to wait a little bit until this technology is better developed. And now, for example, uh, with, um, there is a really nice, nice uh, library called Hugging Face. They, they work a lot with natural language processing models and they basically implement all of, the, all of these new things. So instead of just, okay, I'm going to try to implement BERT or I'm going to try to learn this model, I'm just basically waiting for them to implement that. I'm just basically working, uh, um, waiting for the community to evolve these ideas a little bit more, and once they are they are they are um, ready to be used, then it is when I actually start to use them in a in a in a, in a more engaged way. Uh -huh. uh, but I mean, it's really difficult. It's really difficult to follow this process because new information, new technologies, something new every time. It's sometimes it's difficult to find the time to actually okay, I'm going to read this GPT three paper or I'm going to read this, this, this technical blog post or something like that, because that's, that's really difficult. And another, another important thing to do is to have some uh, close community of people. Basically, mm -hmm. this is, these are my old colleagues from the university. 
plus some other people that I am that I am that I that I knew from my experience in different companies. So I try to attend now online meetings or online uh, or online um, meetups uh, based on data science, artificial intelligence, and so on. Because I am not going to be able to discover anything or to discover. Sorry, I'm not going to be able to discover everything, but. Perhaps I did, I was not aware of this technology, of this new advance of this recent thing, but some of my coworkers did, or some of my colleagues did. So by having these discussions, it's like, hey, check this out because this is pretty interesting. Or even if I was able to, okay, I have identified this, this nice solution. If this is something that many more people has, if you agree on this, is basically because you can understand that this is something that is, it's going to, it's going to be important, okay? Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess that if you are working in research, it's just you reading papers, reading out of papers and get this sense. This is some sense that I got when I was in my PhD uh -huh. to do this diagonal reading to understand this paper is just, is just, is just rubbish or this paper is, it actually has, has some deep meaning. Yeah, no, but that's, so, a, that's actually, a, yeah, sorry, Vivek, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say on that note, um, uh, and you might not have um, kind of a, a well thought through answer for this just because you're, you're focused on the more of the practical side of these technologies uh, and the research. But um, for, you know, p uh, students that are looking to, to do their PhD and to research this field. Are there specific areas that you think are, are um, that you'd recommend they focus on or, or something that you find particularly interesting that's coming up in the research space uh, related to NLP? Yeah, I could, work, I could go for this inductive bias, how to leverage inductive bias to include, uh, to include contextual information, to include common sense that we have about the world, or to include any other piece of information. Basically, how to use inductive bias to, um, to actually include into these models the, the things that they, are, that, they are, uh, that, they are, that they do not have. This this would be one, and then the other ones is just the other one is just focusing on supervised methodologies. Okay, it's basically uh, try to understand how these unsupervised methodologies, how you can leverage in an unsupervised unsupervised way all the data that is available out there via so to via this inductive bias to solve these these specific problems, either contextual to include contextual information, to include uh, common sense. Or to, to try to solve to solve all of these all of these problems, if you are able to find your to find your your topic over there, you are going to be working in the most advanced things that you are that we are working right now, and we are you are going to be working in basically the most complex problems that we are working in natural language processing, and that that's basically what's what's a PhD is, is all about. So, uh, Anil, I'm I'm curious, like. Uh... How come, uh, what brought you to teaching and, you know, uh, coming on board as a teacher and sharing your, your knowledge? I guess that I, I miss the teaching experience. I miss Did you that. do a lot of that during uh, your PhD? No, 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 not, not actually a lot of that, but uh, basically I, something that I had in research is not only about teaching, it's, only, it's about explaining yourself, okay? Right. Research, something that you have always have to do is, okay, you have to explain your approach to your uh, advisor. You have to explain your approach to your coworkers. You have to go to a conference and explain. You have to explain. But you only are sure that you understand something when you are able to explain that. Uh -huh. And the more convoluted is the explanation, the worse it is. The worse you your... understand. The simpler you can explain it, the, the more you understand. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. 
So um, that's something that I miss from my PhD, okay? Mm -hmm. From working on research because yeah, you, you have these meetings, but these meetings uh, in corporations, are, some of them are really meaningful, and but most of them are more about bureaucratic stuff, about planning, about, yeah. I, I need to do some explaining and I'm trying to see myself at this guy in the company, which is trying to engage everybody with artificial intelligence and, you know, to explain the kind of things that you can do. Uh, but it, it's not the same. So when I had the opportunity to start teaching, uh, it was just exciting because I mean, I'm teaching the two things that I like the most, that machine learning and natural language processing. So that's great. Also, I'm, I'm teaching some course on recommendation system, which was, which was the, the topic of my PhD, so great. And I'm able to, to, to get this sense of, okay, I need to explain myself. In order to explain myself, I need to read everything to under so i get that i have now this excuse to go there reading things to go mm -hmm. there reviewing the, the paper to go there reviewing this blog post especially in natural language processing because in natural language processing is it's really advanced it's happening right now okay so every year i have to update to update everything and to explain you a different thing this this year is going to be gpt3 but last year was transformers and bird and everything and it's 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 really good for me and it at also at a personal level it's really it forces you to really, keep on keep on top of things right i mean yeah 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 sure sure yeah that that's definitely but also at a more personal level is like you go there you have 50 people in your class some of them uh, do not like machine learning or are not interested in machine learning which is completely uh, completely uh, usual or okay, that's that's the way it is some people is more interested in other parts of of in other parts of machine learning or in other parts of business analytics or big data or whatever but you see some people like you that are really engaged and being able to 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 translate that all of the information that i have in my head to be able to translate that to give you this information and to to see how you are able to get this information to learn something i guess that is it's it's really it's really great it's it's really grateful a grateful experience to see how you are learning okay and that's that's really nice or how when i'm teaching something you okay that's that's really interesting i want to learn more and when you ask me can you give me more information about that this is not actually working it's not actually improving myself as you know data scientist but i guess that this is improving me as a person this teaching experience in which you actually connect with other person at this at this teacher student level which is it's it's a really nice connection and it's it's really it's a grateful experience and it's it's really nice to see every year people like you that like the field that they move on to work on that that uh, you have this you have now this podcast but tomorrow it's going to have you 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 will have this other initiative you are going to be working and we are we are going to keep connected so I, I guess that it's also really nice it's also really nice for me this 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 teaching experience Absolutely. And uh, like I mentioned before, Vivek and I have really enjoyed your class and which is why we were very keen on uh, having this conversation with you as well. One thing that I um, kind of touching on what you just mentioned, Angel, for us, um, Gotham and I, we did the MBA previously and, and we kind of saw the value of learning this stuff, even if we don't go down the very technical route of becoming machine learning engineers, there, mm -hmm. there still seems to be a value in understanding this stuff because it's becoming quite ubiquitous in, in most industries and sectors. But I think some people didn't 
um, maybe realize that or, or, or didn't um, feel that that was the case? And, and just from your experience, how do you feel that um, you know, business leaders that aren't very technical can benefit from, from understanding these concepts in more detail? And, and, and where do you see it, it going in terms of importance in the workplace? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I guess that there are different roles that you may play in this data science environment. It's not, it's not the same that you are the guy actually implementing things or you are just the, the guy consuming the machine learning models or the guy deciding which are the one to be the machine learning models to be implemented or if you are the manager, um, if you are the manager, you just basically organize everything and so on. But I guess that, I guess that a, perhaps not a deep technical knowledge about that in terms of maths, in terms of the equations and so on. But I guess that you need to understand at a technical level these, these models and these ideas, because if you understand these ideas at a technical level, you first you get the intuition of, okay, this top-down approach that I told you, okay, I have this problem. So if I understand at the technical level, the kind of solutions that you, that you have at your disposal, you can understand which one makes sense. And you can understand if you face some problem, what's going on over there? Why my machine learning model is not working? This is something that I also told you in class, machine learning is not like web development, right? In web development, even if the web that you are developing is quite complex, you have this set of things that you do. Each step involves this amount of weeks. And once you are able to accomplish with everything, the project is done. Machine learning is not like that. Machine learning is basically you follow some steps, you end up at some result that you do not know if it's worthy or not. So it's basically about analyzing and analyzing and iterating and iterating and iterating. So you need some understanding on what's going on over there. It's not just, I'm gonna click this button and get this result. What, what is the thing that this button is doing? What is the meaning of this result? How can I interpret this result? How can I improve this result? Is this result even good enough? Is this model that I'm applying make sense from a theoretical point of view? Uh, can I do something different? Does it make sense to even not use machine learning but use another approach to solve that? In order to have to have this understanding, you need some technical understanding of it, of it, right? You need to actually understand this model is doing that. This is the problems that are facing. This is the kind of pipeline that I need to implement in order to to, to work in machine learning. I guess that the 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 the, the farther you are from the coding, the less you need to understand that. But at some point you need to get this sense, okay? You need to get, if you are the, 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 the manager of a car industry, of a car company, perhaps you do not need to know uh, how the, the engine is operating at the most specific level, but you need to understand that there are some things over there that it's making your car working. So if you want a more powerful car, this is the, the, the downside of it. You need to know how to drive the car because if you want to engage in the user experience, you need to understand what's going on over there. These kind of things, okay? So I guess that in machine learning, in machine learning is just the same. And the problem with machine learning is that it, machine learning, deep learning, artificial intelligence in general, it's really difficult. It's really, really difficult. Uh, we are talking, this is some idea that I also share with you in class, which is machine learning is just the thing that you do when nothing else works. So if you cannot create a business rule, if you cannot create a script, if you cannot create a SQL query, if you cannot solve your problem by, by any means, you just use machine learning to try to learn from your previous experience or your previous data. So it's so difficult because we are addressing really difficult problems. So if you do not get this technical understanding of your models and 
allowing this technical understanding of your problems, you are going to get lost and you can get in a situation in which I want to do artificial intelligence. Yeah, but what, what's the meaning of that? I don't know, but everybody is doing artificial intelligence. I want right. to do this. And it's, yeah, okay, but it, it, I mean, artificial intelligence is just a word. What's the problem that you have? What's the solution that you want to get? Uh, that kind of things. Well, I think that was one of the most surprising things and one of the things that stood out the most um, from your class was one of the very first things you said in a machine learning class yeah. is that machine learning should be your last resort, that yeah. you should only use it if nothing else works. And, and that kind of stuck with me. And I guess that, that speaks to your, your top-down approach. You know, yeah. don't, just, don't just try and use this very complex tool just because it, it seems cool and a lot of other people are using it. Um, that, you know, it, only use it if you really have to. Um, Great. So I think um, kind of we should wrap up here in a little bit, but, but a couple of questions that come to mind, one of them being, uh, it's, it's a bit broad, but is there something, you know, and it doesn't have to be specific to NLP, but, but that you find particularly exciting uh, that's coming up in the near future um, and any kind of technology or AI related um, kind of approach to, to solving a problem? Yeah, I guess that it's about, um, it's about how to leverage different uh, different, and by different, I mean really different source of data regarding whatever is your problem, because this is something that it's kind of complex in most of the companies. And this is something that I've worked a lot in different companies, okay? So you have, basically you have a lot of information out there, okay? No matter what kind of company you are, you have information about your clients in different in different sources. You have uh, information internal to the company, information which is external to the company. You have information which is textual, which is tabular, which is you have videos, you have uh, photos. You have, I mean, many different many different data points. If you are able to reconcile all of these data points, if you are able to have this unique view of your problem, and then you are able to propose models working with this very different source of information, which is not, not really simple. Imagine that you have some conversation with a consumer. Imagine that you have some historical of the relationship with your consumer. Mm -hmm. Imagine that you have some the Instagram account of your consumer with some pictures and with some, with some uh, messages over there. I mean, whatever it is, it's not so clear how to reconciliate everything and how to work and everything, how to work in everything together, uh, how to propose things on top of that. If you are able to do that, that's, that's again, I guess, uh, talking about the same idea that we are been talking over here. Okay, it's like, okay, you have this GPT-3 model with all the data on the internet, but there are many more data out there that you can include into your model. Perhaps yeah. you need a different in a strategy or different design. I think so it points to that, uh, points to that, yeah. uh, the thing that you mentioned is the fact that it, it might even help us capture nuances, right? To, yeah. Yeah. to, to yeah, large extent. It. Yeah, that's it. So if you are able to integrate all of this information, that's, that's, that's great. This is something that is far from being true in, in many of the, in many of the scenarios that I've been working and you see, um, especially when you, you work in these large companies, you have these silos of information and it's like, okay, you understand a lot about this view of the consumer. You understand a lot about this particular aspect and you have this project that works pretty well for that. But we are not able to put everything together. And imagine that in a really, really large company with, with, with thousands of employees and something like that. I guess that it is about the flows of information. 
So as soon as you are able to do that, you can improve uh, consumer care, improve the organization of a company, um, whatever requires some information flows and basically a system, whatever system you think about that, not only an, an artificial system, but also a, a human being or a, a group of people. It's just basically flows of information. If you are able to integrate all of these flows of information and to apply some kind of machine learning or artificial intelligence technique to, to to basically learn from that, you are going to be able to solve way more complex problems. Amazing. Okay, so just the ability to process diverse types of data ultimately, and and do you do you find that we're making good progress in that that area? Mm, uh, well, I guess not so much because uh, this is not very exciting, right? It's like yeah. okay. Uh, Give me ten million dollars, and I'm going to work on the most exciting things to do. And it's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, to create a huge database, information flows. I mean, that's not the kind of thing that you expect. The kind of thing that you expect is a larger model. I'm going to work in, you know, playing video games or building mm -hmm. a thing to, to drive a car, or I'm going to launch a rocket to Mars or whatever. And I guess that this is the fancy things to do. This is the, the things that are getting funding. Uh, um, and these are the things that, you know, you get famous for that. You do not get famous for creating a pipeline system that ingests. <laughs> you know. That's yeah. not cool. And because of that, it's just basically something that you assume. No, yeah, you have the information over there. I mean, it, it's actually, it's not there. It's not updated. Right. It's curated. It's, 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 it's. It's, I guess that if we can formalize that and to actually use machine learning on top of that, that would be great. Yeah, I always enjoyed the kind of modeling part of any machine learning pipeline, the wrangling of the data and the cleaning and the feature engineering. Yeah. It's interesting and, and, and you know, you kind of grow to it. Huh? Yeah, okay. but the uh, seeing your model get trained and, and trying to optimize your, your metrics <laughs> is always the more exciting part. Yeah, that's that's a nice thing to do, and that's a fancy thing to do. That's a, right. the, the funny. But then thing scaling it up, implementing it, I'm assuming is a whole different beast. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, so I think uh, Gotham, do you have any more questions? That, that wraps up mine. That wraps up mine as well. Uh, Angel, uh, thank you so much for taking this time. It's been it's been incredible. I think we've learned a lot during this conversation as well. I think it's been really really fun talking to you as well. But, yeah. Thanks uh, a lot, Angel, uh, for for coming on with us. And um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just end the recording right now, but please stay on so that we can uh, we can say goodbye to you. Uh, okay. So, yeah.